just 15 years ago, around this time, I'd be like, what time is it now? The kids would be up from nap time. They'd be having their snack. I just think about sometimes like that's wild. <laughs> I used to make $39,000 a year. Now, if I made that in a month, I'd be like, are we out of business? I'm Amy Porterfield, ex-corporate girl turned CEO of a multi seven-figure business. But it wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the confidence, the budget, and the time to focus on growing my small but mighty business. Fast forward past many failed attempts and lessons learned, and you'll see the business I have today. One that changes lives and gives me more freedom than I ever thought possible. One that used to only exist as a daydream. I created the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step -step strategies to help you do the same. If you're an ambitious entrepreneur or one in the making who's looking to create a business that makes an impact and a life you love, you're in the right place, friend. Let's get started. When you run an online business, your marketing metrics will tell you what in your business is profitable and where you're throwing money away. Yikes. That's pretty important, right? Luckily, I've put together the Ultimate Marketing Metrics Checklist, which is a free resource that will guide you through tracking and analyzing the most crucial metrics for your business. And let me tell you, I'm gonna keep it simple but effective. From evergreen data and revenue generation to podcast metrics and social media growth, this cheat sheet will cover it all. It's the exact one my team and I use to track our metrics on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual basis. Let me be honest here. This wasn't an overnight process win for me. It took me 10 years to build this comprehensive list and get it just right. But you, my friend, can start using it today, tailoring it to suit your business-specific needs, but not having to start from scratch like I did. Whether you're a seasoned marketer or just getting started, this cheat sheet will help you make informed decisions as you grow your business and empower you to move forward confidently. So go to amyporterfield.com forward slash metrics to get your hands on the ultimate marketing metrics cheat sheet now. That's amyporterfield.com forward slash metrics. Well, hey there. Welcome to another episode of Online Marketing Made Easy. I'm excited about today's episode because it's all about finances. Now, I watch my downloads pretty closely, and I know that money topics are pretty popular among my listeners, so I'm very much looking forward to sharing this incredible interview with you today. Now, in the past, my guests have shared more about the relationship we have with money and how we can alter our mindset around it to work better for us, which is important. But today's episode is a little bit different. Instead, we're going to dive into more concrete concepts and tangible steps that you can take to achieve financial wholeness. Not necessarily financial freedom, but financial wholeness. Now, you might be saying, uh, Amy, what the heck is financial wholeness? Well, keep listening, my friend, because my guest coined this term, and I absolutely love the concept. Her name is Tiffany Aliche, better known as the Budgetista. 
Now, I'm guessing most of you already know who Tiffany is, but if you're new to her world, she's a financial educator, a New York Times bestselling author, and star of Netflix, Get Smart With Money. She is also the co-host of the popular podcast, Brown Ambition, which has been recognized by Insider, Time, Forbes, and Fast Company as one of the greatest personal finance podcasts since its launch in 2016. Tiffany recently published a workbook called Made Whole, The Practical Guide to Reaching Your Financial Goals. What I love about her approach is that it's very hands-on and it's packed with resources like checklists and explanations and hacks to help you gain a better financial understanding. It walks you through 10 steps to master your finances and today we're going to cover some of those steps. And if you know me, you know that a good step-by-step makes my heart sing. Tiffany and I are talking about budgeting, saving, investing, and so much more. She doesn't think that your first hire should be a virtual assistant, which is something I teach. She has a whole different perspective, and I respect it, and I'm excited for her to share that as well. It's a really great interview, and I can't wait to dive in. I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and bring on Tiffany. Hey there, Tiffany. Welcome to the show. Hey, Amy. Thanks for having me. So happy that you're here. I've been looking forward to this episode, and I already gave you a good intro at the very beginning, but I love when my guests share a little bit about themselves. So if you met someone new at a cocktail party and they said, tell me about yourself, what would you say? I would say I am a financial educator. I like to call myself America's favorite financial educator, but you know, that's just me and my mom. I love Um, that. (laughs) I am a New York Times bestselling author. Um, and a new author of my new book, Made Whole. I am a a star of a Netflix documentary called Get Smart With Money. And I was the first Black woman on the cover of, of Money Magazine by herself. Um, and I just really love, for the last 15 years, teaching financial education to as many people as possible. Well, you've been doing a very good job of that. And I want to dive in and talk about this topic that you really have created. It's financial wholeness. So what is financial wholeness and how is it different from something we talk about on the show a lot, which is financial freedom? So to me, financial wholeness differs from financial freedom in that in case you never get that pile of money where you don't have to work anymore, what is the contingency plan? You know, that can you still live life well? And I say you can, that as long as you're financially whole, you can see your way through high interest rates, job loss, inflation you know, recession. And so there are 10 steps to financial wholeness or 10 components. They're each worth 10%. And so that is budgeting, saving, debt, credit, income, investing for both retirement and wealth, insurance, your net worth, your financial team, and estate planning. If you learn to master and maintain those 10 things, then you can weather any external financial storm and then build whatever you want on top of that foundation. Brilliant. I wish we could get into every single one of these steps, but obviously we're going to tell people where they can go at the end to really dive in. But I did take some of my most favorite steps and I was hoping that you could kind of drill down and help us really understand the concept. Are you good with that? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So I want to start out with the very first step, which is budgeting. Now, I love budgeting, but I haven't always loved budgeting. It was a rough road for me. I actually talked about this a little bit in episode 642 about profit margin and budgeting. However, I didn't budget anything when I was first starting out and I wish I had. So 
I know that your book is not written just for people that are building businesses, but you've been so kind to put that slant on this episode since everyone listening is building businesses. So what's your advice for a business owner who might have very little budgeting experience? Where do you even start? So I've been a business owner now for 15 years and there are some nuance with nuances that make sense on both sides of the equation. So like your personal finances versus your your business, right? So the things that are the same is that you have to spend less than you make, you know, and to a certain degree, right? And then you have to um, be mindful that the things that you are spending your money on, especially in business, are going to bring you this return on investment. So what's critical is in the beginning for business, if you're just starting out, I call it direct return versus indirect return. When you're budgeting for what should you spend money on? And so direct return is for me, if I was someone who wanted to start making cookies. So I'm not going to automatically get flyers, a website, or like, you know, commercial cooking space, right? Instead, I'm going to get chocolate chips, I'm going to get cookie dough, or I'm going to get flour and yeast or whatever you use to make cookies. Because those are the things that I can budget and invest in, in order to make cookies, so I can immediately bring back a return. And so I think when it comes to budgeting for business, not enough people realize that you have to make a direct return in the beginning or you won't be here here long enough. I see people set aside funds for things like, oh, it's great you have a website, but is that website, unless you're like a website designer, is that website going to generate income for you right away? Another component that I think not enough people think about is that when I first started, I remember the first month in business, I think I made like $10,000 and I was like, oh my goodness, clearly I'm rich for life now. Right? I made a hundred dollars the next month and then zero the next. Oh no. Because I didn't fully understand that the money that I made in January might be necessary and needed also in December. And so I realized I'm like, okay, I had to learn how to budget during the good times to cover the good and the bad. And that's something that's really important is getting clear about what your overhead is, what are your expenses, how can you lower them if you need to. So this year was a rough year in business for, for myself. I have three businesses and I knew what my overhead was, but I also knew that this is the overhead when things are good and we slashed as much as possible. Something sometimes as simple as um, paying for something for the full year that you're using to get that 25% discount. And so like we slashed as much as possible um, because we were able to tighten our belt. We also, because I knew that good times don't last forever, when we had good times, I had six months of operations expenses saved that we certainly leaned into so we didn't have to pause payroll or not pay bills on time. So that's what budgeting looks like for business is that one, being certain that you are bringing in money as in, in a, the smartest way possible, the way you're spending your money is generating income. You're setting aside money from where you might not make money and that you're understanding that like, business has ebbs and flows and to navigate within those ebbs and flows. So true. I love that you brought up the website as an example. Most people think when I start a business, I need to spend a bunch of money and build a website. And I always say, no, 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 that is not an area you need to spend a lot of time on in the beginning. And I love what you said. Is that going to generate you a bunch of money? In the beginning, it absolutely is not. And so there's other scrappy ways to bring in the money in the beginning. So I love that you brought that up. Okay, so that's step number one. I'm gonna kind of jump around, but I am gonna go right into step number two. 
I love this. You're talking about saving, but you say you got to save like a squirrel, which cracks me up because I totally get it. And there are certain milestones that I know you talk about that we should aim for with our savings account. For example, like my question is, uh, should we look at how much should we have when we're first starting out after our first year in business, after our first five years? You hinted at this a little bit saying, you know, have those six months saved in case things get rough. But can you talk about saving in a business, especially when my students aren't making a bunch of money yet? Exactly. So before you jump out the window in your business, it's going to be important for you to have some personal savings too. That's going to be important because when you are financially stressed, like as an individual, it is hard to be creative and innovative in your business because you're financially stressed personally. And so I think sometimes we get a little, some people can feel like I want to just be a pure entrepreneur, but like, no, I was always supplementing my business. I, I was a school teacher for 10 years and I babysat, I tutored, I did these side things to supplement, to make sure that I gave my business the chance to succeed without this emotional mental stress. So one, make sure that you're setting aside personal savings before you totally jump into like being a full-time entrepreneur. Then two, in your business, making sure that you are setting aside funds like a squirrel. So squirrels are really savvy savers. When, like I live in New Jersey, the East Coast, so acorns are abound. I mean, you can't step outside without stepping on an acorn. And so I noticed that squirrels are working the hardest and saving the most during times of abundance. Human beings, for some reason, we're the opposite. Things are good. We're like, woohoo, vacation time, spend, 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 you know, because squirrels know that financial winter comes for everybody. And so understanding that no matter how great you are, how smart you are, how much you work, that you will have a financial winter in your business. So during those like economic boom times, that is when I want you to lean in and extract as much money from the market as possible and also set aside as much money from the market as possible. Like during my peak year, it was the pandemic. I made $10 million that year and I was like, woohoo. But then something in the back of my head was like, wait a minute, we have been here before where things were great. And then the next year, not so great. So I set aside, I remember reading an article that Microsoft had one year's worth of operating expenses saved. And that was my aim. So we got up to six months and sure enough, this was a really hard year and we leaned heavily into that savings. Had I not had it, I don't know if I'd still be here in business. So keeping that in mind that like when things are great, especially new entrepreneurs, I, I do a lot of mentoring and I'll get people who are like, oh my gosh, I had a, a great quarter my first year out. And I'm like, it's not always going to be like this. I know it feels like it, but I need you to put some of that money up. And many people don't listen. And then six months later, oh my gosh, I'm going to go under. And I'm like, where's the money from the beginning that you didn't even really need? And they're like, I didn't listen. I spent it. So don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. And I will say this, having, let's say, six months of money set aside, that's the calm. That's the, I'm going to ease into this. That's when you allow yourself to make mistakes knowing you have this nest egg. And without that, every decision you make is like the biggest decision. Because if I mess this up, I am screwed. But imagine if, if I mess this up, I've got a little backup. Or if this year just isn't my year of business, that was me in 2021, just wasn't my year that I just knew I was taken care of. Peace of mind when you're running a business is everything. Yeah, and I everything. feel as though this step is it. It's the saving right there. So I'm glad we got into that. Okay, we're gonna skip number three. I'll sh I'll tell you where to go to get all the steps, but I wanna get into step number four, and that is 
to score high when it comes to your credit score. So I hear so many different things about credit score doesn't matter, it does matter. So talk to me about why it does matter and I'm just gonna jump to it right here. There's some people listening that their stomach hurts because they know their credit score is low. So maybe you could give some tips to help them out. So the thing about your business credit score is that in the beginning, there is no business credit score. It's you. <laughs> yes. And so um, not everyone is going to need to borrow money for their business, you know, but if you have typically if you're creating a physical product, you are likely going to have to at some point with credit. Credit really is like I need you to know me before you need me. And so it's really important that you start to build business credit right away, even if you think I'll never, ever, ever need it, because oftentimes before you can borrow money, they want to see two years worth of business credit. And you don't want that when you're in a pinch, it's month one of you into business credit. So first thing I did was I went to the bank. I asked my bank if they had a secured business credit card. A secured business credit card is just a credit card that the security deposit is you. You put up, a, typically it's about $1,000. They give you a card and you swipe away at that card and you pay it off every month in full. That part is important because after like six months to a year of doing that, they will give you a normal business credit card if you're not eligible for a normal business credit card. Certainly go for that first, but if not, you can start there. Um, and then you start to build business credit. So for me, I use my credit card in the be beginning for like small things that I could pay off in full. And then once I started to build business credit, then I started to get better cards. Like we use for my businesses now, we use a Platinum Amex, you know? And what I like about it is that like, I personally have a gold card for myself personally, but my two businesses have Platinum Amex cards, but all the points pool into one pool that me as Tiffany, like I don't remember the last time I paid for a flight. <laughs> Amen. Yes. And so that's what good credit can allow you to do. So I put all of my marketing spend. So, you know, and, you know, as a marketer, right, on my Amex card. And I mean, the way the points pile up, I mean, at one point I had over a million points on my card and it's like, where can't I go? You know, I took, um, I want to say I spent half of it. I took my stepdaughter and I, we went for her 16th birthday. She wanted to go to Europe for the first time. So we did Paris, London, and the Amalfi Coast. And I paid like nothing out of pocket. That's a big deal. Yes. And so, but that's the benefit of like navigating credit wisely as a business. And if ever then you need to lean in to actually borrow money, you have a history of using it wisely. So 35% of your your score is payment history, meaning do you make on-time payments and do you at least pay the minimum? 30% of your score is the amounts owed, meaning that do you keep your, your limits, your balances way below your limits? And so the max really is about 30%. So if you've got a thousand dollar card, you really never want to have a limit sitting there over $300. You want to pay off in full, ideally every single month. And then if I ever wanted to borrow money now, I have the ability to because I have a strong personal score and now I have a strong business score. Okay. Makes sense. So what happens if you just don't have a good score? Like a lot of people are going to think of their personal score might be low. They might not even have a business score yet, but any tips on what they could do? So what I would do is I, I call it my jump like Michael Jordan card because I'm in my 40s. So that's who like I remember watching growing up. And so so this is a car that I, I have that has a um, so either you have a car that's already been paid off or you can open up a card. Ideally, because I like to travel, I look for a travel card and I put my cheapest bill on that card. So maybe it's your gym membership, maybe it's your Netflix or whatever it is. That card stays home. 
its only purpose is for it to be swiped by that company for under 50 bucks, whatever that thing is you're going to put on it. And then you're going to pay it off every month in full. You're going to make sure to pay it off by the due date so you're not late. But after the statement date, that part is important because the statement date is when they tell the credit bureaus, hey, Amy used her card. So they're, they're acknowledging you used it. So when you pay it off in full, they will also be pinged, Amy paid off her card. So if you do that month after month, that will dramatically increase your score. I did it with two cards at once and it could be five bucks a month, 5,000 bucks a month, $50,000 a month. The amount doesn't matter. The habit of paid off a card in full, no matter the amount, will dramatically increase your score. So if you don't do anything else, do that and you will raise your credit score significantly. I love that. I've never heard of that. So that's fantastic. Okay, great. And I know you have lots more tips where that came from, but I'm going to keep you moving forward. We are online marketers, which means we have unique needs. And there are so many options out there for paid media. Sometimes it's hard to figure out where should you go to reach your ideal audience. But here's the thing. Have you thought about LinkedIn ads? LinkedIn ads empowers marketers with solutions for you and your customers, and it allows you to build the right relationships and drive results and reach your customers with meaningful content. You do not want to sleep on LinkedIn ads. And here's the thing, 79% of content marketers said LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. I hear it from so many of my peers, and I know you're doing important work. And with that, you want to make sure that the work you're doing is getting in front of the right people. And that's what LinkedIn ads will allow you to do. So let your marketing efforts connect with the right audience and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. So if you go to linkedin.com slash Amy, you can get that $100 credit. So that's linkedin.com slash Amy. Terms and conditions apply. I know you're focused on marketing and selling your digital products, but I know many of you also have physical products and I wanna talk about Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a user-friendly commerce platform that helps you, my dear online entrepreneur, build an online store and make more sales at any stage of your business. They're the force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other businesses at every size. Let me tell you why Shopify is an online entrepreneur's dream platform. It's because it helps turn your browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout experience. In fact, it converts 36% better compared to other leading e-commerce platforms. Yeah, loving that. And I don't know about you, but as an online entrepreneur, my customer's experience, especially when it comes to checking out, is so important. Plus, not only do they support your customers, they support you as the entrepreneur. Shopify's award-winning help desk is there to support your success through every question and every step of the way. There's a reason Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash made easy all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash made easy now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash made easy. I want to skip over to step number six, which is, and this one I'm so curious what you have to share, invest like an insider. 
I can't even begin to explain what investing has done for my business and for my family. So for entrepreneurs who haven't explored investing and feel very intimidated by it, what's your advice for them to get started? Like what account should they be setting up? How much do they need to set aside for these accounts to actually invest? Give it to me. So one, you have to first, uh, like depends what kind of entrepreneur you are. So are you a, um, a sole proprietor LLC? You know, so there's a specific type of account that might be better suited for for a retirement account because we always want to set aside for retirement first. There's two types of investing that I want you to focus on. Investing for retirement, which means look around at your life now, you get to maintain this lifestyle. And investing for wealth after you've satisfied investing for retirement, which means I get to increase my current lifestyle and leave something for my heirs, Right. So like, so investing for retirement comes first. So depending on what type of business you have, so you're a sole proprietor or maybe you're a partnership LLC, maybe you're an S corp, which is what I am. If you're a sole proprietor, right? So most of us, once you get to like six figures or more, you're looking into becoming an S corp because when you're a sole proprietor, you're going to pay something called self-employment tax. And that's okay when you're making under six figures because the burden may be not as great because you're not making as much. But when you become an S-Corp, all of a sudden, you're not actually self-employed. We now work for our company. And so that's a different type of um, retirement account that you might want to look into. So when I was a sole proprietor, I think I had like a SEP. But now that I am, I, I work for the Budget Nista, my company, I have a retirement account inside, like at like the rest of my, my team inside the company. And so this is why it's really important to work with a financial professional. That's one of the tips in the book um, because I wanted to make sure I set it up in a way that benefited me, but because I'm not the only employee of my company, it can't just be, this is what's good for Tiffany because I also had to mirror that for my employees as well. So you want to sit with a financial planner who they focus on small businesses or businesses um, to figure out what's the best retirement account for what I'm trying to accomplish in a way that I can also offer this if I have employees. If you don't, then you can choose whatever you want for yourself. But if I have employees, then I can afford to do the same um, for them. And so I max out, you know, like just just the other day, I just saw an email from my, my CFP, my certified financial planner, to my CFO, my chief financial officer. And she was asking, hey, we're trying to max Tiffany out for her, um, because you have, there's a maximum amount of money that you can set aside in retirement accounts, well, retirement accounts that have tax benefits. And so she wanted to know what the maximum amount, well, she knew what the maximum amount was, but she wanted to be clear on how many more payrolls does Tiffany have? Because we're trying to make sure on this end that we max her out. And I also have something called uh, like this Roth IRA, which is after like I get paid, I can set aside money. Um, well, I do a backdoor Roth because if you make a certain amount of money, there is, you can't use Roth IRAs anymore. A, a Roth IRA is a retirement account that your after-tax money can go into. And so you pay taxes on it, but when you go to withdraw it later, when you're 59 and a half or older, then you don't have to pay taxes on that money or the growth. A traditional IRA or 401k, which most of us will have, is that you get the tax savings now because it lowers how much you made. So if you made $100,000 in take-home pay, it says you put $10,000 up. It says, actually, you didn't make $100,000. Um, you made $90,000. And so we're going to tax you on $90,000. But the investment component can be really, it can be 
a little overwhelming if you are a small business owner because there's so many choices. If you're just, you're a teacher, a mechanic, a nurse or whatever, your 401k, put it in a target date fund. A target date fund basically is a mutual fund that will put the money that you've given it aside for you based upon how close you are to retirement. So the closer you become to retirement, it would literally rebalance itself to like say, okay, the closer Amy gets to retirement, the more conservative her investments will be. By the time you retire, you'll be able to pull out your money. But if you're a business owner, there are so many choices. I would just feel more comfortable if you sat with a a certified financial planner. That's important. That's the gold standard to go over what choices to maximize what it's going to look like for you in retirement because there are benefits to having a business that you can really lean into when it comes to setting aside for investing. Yes. Um, and we're going to come back to some of the people that you want in your court in order to get all of this right. So I am going to come back to that. But something you said, I don't want people to miss, and I think it's so important. You said, when you're investing as a business owner, first you invest in your retirement. Once you've got that going and that money is flowing there, then you think about investing for wealth and really growing that. And I like that cadence that you shared because it makes perfect sense. And I don't think everyone looks at it that way. And so I see why that is so important. You know, my son, he's about a year off from getting his first job. And what I told him was, I wish someone had sat me down and explained if I put money aside every single paycheck, I could be a millionaire, I, you know, in years to come. I didn't do any of that. I didn't take any of my retirement seriously until I was in my 30s. And I really regret that. And so not only can we learn from this, but if we have kids, these are the messages we want to share with them. We want to educate them early because a saver, like I just respect savers. Like they just, to me, they are the ultimate because it's such a discipline, but they reap such huge rewards. And if you have kids, you can also, because I have a stepdaughter. And so one of the things I do for her is that she works for me. She does social media. And so I pay her, but I pay her just enough to max out her retirement account. And so I remember the first time the money landed in her account, I said, Alyssa, it's about $6,500 that's going to land in your account. Don't touch it. That's for your retirement account. Remember, we talked about it. That's for older Alyssa, not young Alyssa. She was like, no problem. The money lands. Anjali, who's my financial advisor, goes to pull the money out. She said, Tiffany, I tried to pull the money out, and they said that there wasn't enough money to pull out. I'm like, that's not possible. So I called her. I was like, Alyssa, where is the money? She's like, oh, was that what you were talking about? I'm like, how would you randomly get $6,500? She had taken like $100 or $2, so she didn't take a bunch. And I was like, why? She's like, I don't know. I was just thinking, wow. (laughs) It's exciting, especially when they're so young. And I remember Cade made like $1,000. He's like, I am so rich. So I could see how it'd be tempting. Yeah. So thankfully, I don't know where she had. I think she may have transferred it to her checking account. So I was like, do you still have it? She said, yeah, I do. I said, transfer it back. Remember, no one's taking your money. We're just setting it aside for older Alyssa. So this year when it happened, I was like, it's happening again. Look at me in the eyes. Do not touch it. And she didn't, to her credit. I thought you were going to tell me she took it all. No, 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 no. It was just a few hundred, you know. But and like I said, she must have just transferred it. But I just thought that was hilarious. Because, you know, kids have no concept of money. And so so there are things you can do to kind of like force their hand. We talk about money all the time. Um, but, you know, but still, you know, she's 17 now. So it's hard for her to understand. Although she does have a job now. She works at Chuck E. Cheese, which I think is hilarious. She has a costume on and everything. But it's great for her 
to do that because, you know, when her money comes in, she's like, who's FICA? Who's this? I'm like, I know. So, and, but she gets to learn the lessons. We get to talk through it. And, but then I'm setting her up. I told her I will continue. You could work for me doing social media doing, until you graduate college. And I will continue to put max out your retirement account. And then when you get your first job, you can do it yourself. And then, you know, you're good. And so, but imagine I started that at age when she was 15. Oh, I'm so jealous. That's so smart. I know. <laughs> oh, so fantastic. Okay. I love that. Anyone listening who has kids, think about it. How could they work inside your business? How can you put that money aside for them? I think it's such a brilliant idea. Okay. I'm moving you down the list. I love how you encourage people to start a side hustle to diversify their revenue streams. You're speaking my language. Many of my listeners are working hard on making their side hustle a full-time thing, but most of them are in a side hustle right now. So for my listeners who have been considering starting a side hustle and just haven't taken that leap yet, what are a few things that you could share with them that you wish you knew before starting your business? And for my entrepreneurs who are already rocking and rolling, listen closely because you might find some gems in here. You might have skipped a few things. So I think it's going to be valuable for all. So there's a few things, Amy. So one, especially when you're first starting a side hustle, I have some ground rules. I say one, is this something that I did as a job or have like I'm currently doing as a job or I've done before because that means I don't have to learn a new skill set. This is for people who are purely side hustle, not side hustle to grow into a business. Just I want to side hustle. I want to make some extra money. So as a teacher, I was like, well, what's easier than tutoring and babysitting? Because, here, you know, like I don't have to learn anything new. I literally would leave the classroom at three o'clock and then I would babysit a kid or tutor a kid at three thirty, four o'clock. So that was great because I didn't have to earn this and learn this new skill set. My second rule is, is it something I have a degree or certificate in? That was helpful because then I could say, I can maximize how much you pay me. You know, so I'm like, oh, you know, I've got my my master's in education. So you can't pay me $50 an hour to tutor. I'm actually 75 as a result. So those were things I looked for to help maximize how much money when I was side hustling, not start trying to start a business side hustling, but trying to maximize extra money on the side because I actually really love teaching. And I thought I was just going to be teaching preschool forever. And, and so those two things are different. And then, you know, something, oh, there was, oh, this is something that I tell people now because you can actually have a business and still side hustle. I call it going to the bank. So this is what I tell anybody that like I mentor. So one of my mentees call me and they're like, oh, Tiffany, it's such a, you know, I'm having such a hard time or I don't have enough money. And I said, you should always ask yourself as if, if you were going to borrow money, you know, from yourself, how do I go to the bank? And so the way that I go to the bank as the budgetista is I ask myself, if times really got rough, what is something that I could almost in 24 hours make money off of? I don't do one-on-ones anymore because I just, I don't need to. I have an online school where we've got like 15,000 students. I paid like 50 bucks a month. I, the budgetista does well and our podcast, Brown Ambition. And so, but every once in a while, in the back of my mind, I know that if things got really, really rough, I could go to the bank of budgetista, which is I could say, hey, you guys know I don't do one-on-ones anymore, but you know, I will take on 10 people at, I'm just making up a number, $10,000. And I will do, you know, just for the next five days, sign up, you know, you snooze, you lose, and I can make money instantly by going to the bank, you know? And so, but identifying what is that? 
for a preschool teacher, Tiffany, going to the bank was tutoring and babysitting. But for Tiffany as an entrepreneur now, and not even like, I think people would pay me not even so much for the financial, like holding their hand, although I do have uh, very well-to-do people reaching out for that component. But sometimes going to the bank is because people want um, one-on-one business coaching, which I don't do, you know, but I would if my back was against the wall. So if you're an established business, everyone in the back of their mind should have a, if it goes left, here's what I could do to go to the bank in order to see my way through this rough time. Ooh, such great advice. I love that. Again, I feel like that a lot of the advice you give is not only very detailed, but it creates that peace of mind. And we're already stressed and overwhelmed building our businesses and growing our businesses to I sleep really well at night knowing that my finances are in check hasn't always been that way. I remember when we were $40,000 in debt and I cried every day. So I know the difference, but this peace of mind, this is that one area. If you're listening to this episode, we're getting into the new year. This is an area that's worth your time to get dialed in so that you could do your best work and not worry about where the money's coming from. So I love it, but we're not done yet. I have a few more quick questions. This next one is a big one because I remember this was such an issue when I was starting. Newer business owners might not have a clear understanding of how to handle business finances versus personal finances. When I was first starting out, the first few months, everything was coming out of my personal finance. I had no idea what I was doing. And so what tips can you share with our listeners to help maintain a clear separation between business and personal? Well, first, I think, I don't know, I, I don't know that I know an entrepreneur that has not commingled funds in the beginning, right? And so what I say is that first things first, go ahead and open that business checking account. Like, because you're never not going to have money come to you if you don't have a place for the business money to go to. Open that business checking open that business savings almost from the very, very, very beginning. So that's first things first. Second, people ask me if if I was going to hire someone in business. Back in the day, it was like, oh, I need an admin. No, I was my own admin. My admin, my fake admin name was Michelle. So if you emailed me, Michelle would write you back and say, hey, unfortunately, Tiffany's not available. (laughs) Because the most important first hire is going to be a financial person. And so that might be a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. I believe that because... Your money is the lifeblood of your business. I don't care how organized you are. I don't care how great you are as a thi- at a thing. We have seen businesses go from billions of dollars one year to nothing. Look at WeWork, right? I mean, this was, it was like, what? It was like 80 something billion dollars it was valued, right? But without the proper business financial flow through your business, I don't care how great you are. You can't outwork a bad business finance. And so for me, the first hire would be like a bookkeeper. I mean, you can find a bookkeeper fairly inexpensive, like um, 20 bucks, 25 bucks, 30 bucks an hour, you know, a few hundred bucks a month. So as you start to make a little money, that's what I would look into to have someone help you organize your finances in such a way. So when it's time to pay taxes, because that's also the number one thing that I remember the first two, maybe even three years in business, I didn't pay my taxes because I was too scared. I was like, I don't have any money. And I remember, thankfully, my accountant, Carlos, was a friend of mine from high school. And I had been avoiding him. He'd been calling. He'd been texting. I was like, I don't want to know. I had it in my mind that I owed $30,000. I don't know why. So finally, I was out food shopping. And there was Carlos with his wife. And he saw me. He said, no, you wait right there, Tiffany. And he brought his cart. I know he was the best. And I was like, Carlos, I don't have $30,000. And he's like, $30,000 for what? I'm like, he said, how much do you think you owe? I said, $30,000. He said, did you even make 30? <laughs> I don't think I did. 
<laughs> I just had this crazy number in my head. He said, Tiffany, you owe 8000 I was like, oh, okay. You know, I was like, that's reasonable. He said, but it was five. But because you have not paid, this is what fees and late payments look like. And I remember like the blood draining from my face. Like it was like the first time that I realized that like you can't hide from the financial component of your business. And I promised myself I was never going to do that again. And the reason why I didn't want to go to Carlos is because I felt disorganized behind the scenes. I didn't know what to give him to do my taxes. I didn't know what I'd spent. I didn't know what I made. And so having a bookkeeper come in almost from the beginning, unless you're really good at it yourself, to help organize your finances in such a way that it can be delivered to an accountant, you know, that in a way that the accountant is like, this makes sense, is really going to ease up your um, your mind. And if you can't afford a bookkeeper, at the very least, I came up with this um, moniker, pay the pot. So people, I would speak and do have a speaking engagement and I would have them pay me, Tiffany Aliche, which is a nightmare when it came to taxes because Tiffany pays more taxes than the budgetista. Yes. You know, but then I learned that the budgetista is the pot. So all money flows through the pot, which is the budgetista, and then the budgetista pays me. So if I make $100,000 that month, it goes into the pot. And let's just say, I don't, I'm just making up my take-home pay is $5,000 a month. The pot pays me $5,000, even if I made 100000 and then the next month, if I made $500 a month, the pot can still pay me $5,000 because remember saving like a squirrel, I didn't spend all the money that came in. It's like, okay, I'm parse- like I'm parceling that money out to me. Once I realized like, okay, Tiffany, I-, I think I started off at $1,500 a month when I started to make a little bit of money to pay myself no matter what the business made. And as the business made more, I increased my base salary. And the good thing is, it's not like you have to live on less because you can still do something called an owner's draw when all like the books are balanced. Like, oh, there's money left over. Yes. You know, I have my base salary, but I have this excess money left over and I can draw that money. I remember my, like I had a year once where my owner's draw that month was like $500,000. Even though like my, my quote unquote salary as a CEO was 100,000, you know? Cause I like to keep my salary fairly modest for the size business I have. Um, you know, because I'm just like, you know, and I'll even cut it back if I feel like I don't have enough to pay everybody fairly, because I know that I will more than make up my money in owner's draw or I won't. And that's my responsibility as a business owner to eat that. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. And I'm glad you came back to this about, you know, finding the right people to support you on your wealth building journey. So to get really specific, when you say it's not your virtual assistant you need to hire, it's a financial advisor or support. If someone's not making a lot of money, they're just starting out, it's a bookkeeper. Is that specifically? Yeah, I say start with the bookkeeper and you're going to need an accountant too. The accountant, the good thing is you probably only need to have them for when it's time to do taxes. So they're not this kind of like monthly expense. It's here's my taxes. So as far as monthly expense, it's it's a bookkeeper. That's who I, if I was going back to Tiffany back then, I would have had a bookkeeper that's 200, 300 bucks a month. I would have taken way less to make sure my books were intact. I have made so many mistakes to the point where, I mean, I have probably paid, overpaid, well, I won't say overpaid, but I have paid about upwards of seven figures, upwards of a million dollars in mistakes because of the way I navigated my taxes when I was too afraid or didn't understand. I mean, now, I mean, uh, it took, I was getting a pink envelope every month. And I'm like, what is happening from the IRS? And so now, thankfully, the IRS and I are besties. I don't owe anything. I pay every single quarter. And now I get to move into, um, I, I love the fact that I'm working with an amazing accountant that has ways for 
I always ask them, how do wealthy people navigate taxes in a way that you're not like overtaxing yourself, you know? And so I get to finally move into that space where it's like, oh, here are opportunities that if I do this or I, I navigate in this way, that I can lower my taxes significantly. But I couldn't do that before because I was such a financial mess. And it is, it eats away at your peace of mind. I, I mean, my anxiety was at all time high. And so I don't wish that on anyone. Get yourself a bookkeeper and then find an accountant that will do your taxes that year. And it will just, you know, you will be able to navigate business with more ease and comfort. It's so true. And you just like ease into growing that team around you. I started with a bookkeeper, then got a financial advisor. Now I have kind of a whole team behind me that supports me. But that took time for sure. And also, I want everyone to hear this. It's so normal to be messy in the beginning. It's so normal to make the mistakes. I was terrified I wouldn't be able to pay my taxes. I didn't know how to put money aside for taxes or I wasn't disciplined. So we all make those mistakes. However, with resources like Tiffany is offering, you don't have to make all the mistakes that we made. You don't have to be messy. It's just kind of normal in the beginning. But let's get resourceful here and let's not make those mistakes, which is a perfect segue. You have a great resource. You've got a brand new hands-on workbook called Made Whole. Tell us about that. What is this? So I wrote Made Whole as the workbook to the quote-unquote textbook of Get Good With Money, my first book. And it's those 10 steps that I mentioned in the beginning, you know, budget, savings, credit, debt, income, investing, insurance, learning to earn, net worth, and um, estate planning, right? So all of these components, uh, money, it doesn't live by itself. So these are components that are going to help your personal life, but also you as a business owner. You know, I've been able to, I'm fortunate, I've been able to grow wealth for myself, real wealth, where if I didn't want to work anymore, I don't have to. This is from a preschool teacher just just 15 years ago, around this time, I'd be like, what time is it now? The kids would be up from nap time. They'd be having their snack. I'd be putting on their little coats as they <laughs> I just think about sometimes like that's wild. <laughs> I used to make $39,000 a year. Now, if I made that in a month, I'd be like, are we out of business? Oh my gosh, that is a pinch me moment. I know. And so I say that to say that like that one of the ways to be able to get to a place like that, if that's what you so wish, is that you have to have a strong financial foundation personally. And so that's what Made Whole helps you do. It's this 10-step workbook where I show you how to do the step like a true teacher. I show you what the step looks like completed. And then I give you space inside the book to do the step to your specifications. And I give you all the support you need often online. There's an online toolkit that's free that comes with the book. I even have just really great in real life stories where you get to read other people's testimonials who did that step in case you need the encouragement. And I'm just really proud of uh, Made Whole and how many people that it's helped so far. Absolutely. I love the idea that it builds off the other book that you have and it's interactive. It's, it's just fantastic. I am so excited you came on the show. I feel like we really touched on some of the questions that come up again and again with finances and business. Everyone needs to go grab uh, Made Whole. You will absolutely find it valuable. But Tiffany, thanks so much for coming on the show. And where else can people find out more about you? So I am the Budget Nista on all the social media platforms and thebudgetnista.com. And if you'd like to purchase Made Whole, you can find it and the free toolkit at madewholeworkbook.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, my friend. And I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you. 
Okay, so let's wrap this up. That was a really juicy episode, lots of financial goodness, and there was a lot of information. So to avoid overwhelm, just take it one concept at a time, one step at a time. If there was a step that really spoke to you and you want to dive into it more, just do that. That's a great place to start. And I reiterated this when Tiffany was on, but I want to just add, be kind to yourself. It always feels a little messy until it's not. I think that's just part of the process. But if I could give you one piece of advice based on my own regrets, it's that I would get financially educated early on in your business. If you can manage your finances well, and if you understand how to play the game, that means you won't have to work so hard. Quite honestly, that means that you could make less money, but it will actually go farther for you. I know some people that make less in revenue than, let's say, one of their competitors, but they're so smart with their money, they're making more profit. They're building their wealth faster. I've seen it firsthand, and that could absolutely be you. So what if you educated yourself in area of business finances so that you wouldn't have to work so hard? What a concept, right? I absolutely loved every step, but I thought it was so interesting when Tiffany said, you don't need to hire a virtual assistant first, which is something I teach. She said, instead, hire financial support. And in this case, it would be start with a bookkeeper. And I can't say she's wrong. Like, even though I think a virtual assistant is really important and will allow you to stay in your zone of genius, first getting the books right will allow you to have that calmness in your business so that when you do hire a virtual assistant, you could be present for them. I don't know. I think she's on to something. What was your favorite tip? I'd love to hear. You know, I'm just at Amy Porterfield on Instagram. I'd love for you to jump in my DMs and tell me one thing that you're going to do based on what you learned in this episode. I would love to hear from you and I'll absolutely share with Tiffany. She's a new friend. We text each other now, so I'll reach out to her for sure. All right, my sweet friends, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Online Marketing Made Easy. I will see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now.